Hi, I'm Marty Grizzani, and this is The Marty Grizzani Show. As a full-time real estate investor and business owner, I have a real fascination of finding the key principles for business success and personal development. This show is a reflection of my personal mission to find out what truly makes somebody successful in business and in life. We will find tools and tactics that they've used to reach those levels. If you're the type of person is not satisfied with average and you have a hunger for learning that will never cease, this show is for you. Welcome to the show. I always feel like some of my best stuff is like when I'm in the beginning of the co- the podcast or at the like at the end after I stop recording and we kind of are just like shooting the shit at the end yeah. and I'm like oh that's the good stuff that's the good yeah. stuff yeah. um some of my friends give me shit because I don't do the show where it's like and I'm really excited to talk about our next uh, you know, our, the, you know, the next person that's coming on and they've done this, this and this and this. And, and tell us everybody about who you are and what you do and where you're from. And uh, but I, I am, you know, I am excited to talk to you because you're somebody that I look up to and and what you've done and built. But, you know, the question was before I hit recording is. It's kind of like, you know, you where you are now, right, which is at the I would say you've done. From my research on you, you know, uh, over 20 plus deals in large retail commercial properties and other fun things like a gas station and uh, mobile home parks. And and I want to hear about what you're doing now. But 15, 20 years ago, you're like a lot of people that are listening to my show, which is single family. You're doing flips. You're figuring it out. There's such a big jump from residential to commercial. What is the separator that you've seen, not just in your career, you know, for your push into it, but also like in our, in the group that you're in and the different masterminds that you've been a part of, like, what is it that separates those people that can go from, yeah, I got, you know, you know, 10, 15 houses and I flip, you know, four or five houses a year into, Hey, I'm doing real deals and, you know, really making money or really doing it how I thought it was going to be in uh, commercial real estate. I think it's simple. I mean, it's education. That's, you got to have the confidence to be able to step up from doing a, you know, $150,000 house that maybe ends up being 200,000, or maybe you're in a higher market, 250 to, you know, to 400 or whatever the the number is going to $2 million. That's scary. So it's having the education, having a mentor potentially that's going to help you feel, um, you know, just confident about that you're doing the right thing. Cause that's really what I think is the biggest barrier, even to real estate in general is, is the confidence, you know, you have what sets me apart from, Joe Schmo down the street that has just as much experience as I do, or your uh, maybe money or, or smartness or whatever you want to call it, he could do this, but why is he not doing it? And it's really about the confidence and education brings that confidence in my opinion. And even more, if you get a mentor who's done this for the last 20 years or 30 years, that's even a step higher 
So that to me is the biggest X factor of getting from residential to commercial. Uh, yeah, confidence, number one. And I think mentorship gives you that confidence, right? So there's the learning that that gets you in the door. That's a that's a must have, right? In this business, this is you know, that's a must, and that's a that's one hundred and one. You have to have that, but some people don't, right? Some people still kind of maybe shoot from the head, which end up being good deals for those who do uh, become right. educated, right? The mentorship part. I don't think people really know how just critical that is in this step, right? In this step, because residential, you can you can get away with maybe not knowing everything because you understand houses and you understand, hey, it's not going to kill you financially, typically. It's not going to absolutely obliterate you. Now, commercial, it will, or it can't, yeah, right? One. That's the huge difference. I mean, like on a residential property, I can get a 30-year mortgage sometimes. Sometimes you have to do it commercialized, but if you're just starting out, you know, you get a regular loan, you get it for 30, you know, 30 years. If you mess up, you can rent it out or you can live in it. You know, there's lots of options the bank's not coming at you and going to take it back from you unless you're not making the payments. But for commercial, you know, a lot of these loans are five years, seven years, 10 years, maybe max. And you really got to know what you're doing because if you haven't set yourself up properly at the end of that five-year period, if you're just buying, specking on appreciation, something, you know, happening in the market and it goes right. the opposite way, that bank's going to be knocking on your door saying, it's time to pay that balloon payment and to refinance out. And if you don't have the equity in there, they might be asking you to give more money down to get it to the LTV that you need to. Um, so it can really, it can really crush you if you don't know the right things going into the buy. I mean, our, our mentor always says, you make your money on the buy, you don't make it on the sell. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And kind of going back a little bit. I've always talked about, you know, we talked about confidence and, and having a mentor. And still, I think people, even when they have those things, it still takes them time. Or you might see people that still haven't done it. And I wanted to ask you, because I think a part of you have always said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? When you were younger, you talked about that, you know, and I think a lot of it had to do with your humble beginning. And for those who don't know, you know, and you're, you've been out. I've said this many times, you know, coming from, uh, you know, a single mom, you know, a single mom household. Do you think that, I guess it's, you can use it for your, you know, advantage or you can use it as your crutch, right? And, and some of those things. But do you think that urgency has been a big part of your life? Like, I, I see like a lot of people that have become successful, they have a little bit more urgency. And I think if you've seen how it is, live in a humble life and you're going, I don't want this. Now I know now, like your mom was, you were saying in previous episodes that I've heard you on, you know, she was the hard worker and you kind of took that. Like, what's your thought process there? Do, do you do you think that urgency is a big part of your life and how you've become a better entrepreneur, or how you got into entrepreneurship? And how has that humble upbringing uh, 
you know, made you who you are today. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it's a little bit of both. I mean, like you said, it, it's fascinating as I get older, you know, I I'm trying to learn more about myself. I'm trying to learn about more like psychology and like what makes somebody do something like what sets me apart from, like I said, Joe Schmo down the street that I took the risk and he didn't. I don't know the answer to that, but for me personally, it was, I saw my mom struggling. I saw her hurting sometimes and crying because we didn't have a lot of money or to maybe make the rent or whatever needs to be done, or she has to, you know, go and get food stamps or food from the, the, the church. And it's, it's humbling to see that as a kid, to see the strong person that you rely on for, to take care of you, not being confident. And growing up in that, um, in that environment, it wasn't necessarily that we were in, I mean, we were in a poorer neighborhood, but we weren't like in a super dangerous neighborhood, but it's looking at it of what your environment is that pushes you, what, what in your environment is going to push you, whether it is becoming an entrepreneur, losing weight, there has to be a factor that, that you just get to that pushes you to that next level. And I think for me, it was seeing my mom suffer for so long and knowing that she doesn't have the tools to be able to lift herself out of that from a mental capacity and from a um, financial, because nobody taught her that. Nobody in her life taught her those things. So I knew I had to do that. I had to be the change and the factor. So that was my why of why I wanted to get out of it. Not only did I want to help my mom so that she had a great life when she got older, but I also wanted to change my life and didn't want to live in that same mentality of being, I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from or my next meal is coming from. Yeah, the that's where your urgency is done, right? And, and, some, and wherever it is, you need to harness that. And probably that's why people who have been fortunate with, being born into like my son, right? <laughs> Will be born, who's born into a more a way more fortunate than I was, right? And like your kids, right? Is now where do you find urgency? How do you find urgency? Because it was like you, that was the same with me, you know. But again, no, I, not the same. I was very lucky. I had two loving parents, right? I had two parent household, right? Just like you had a one loving parent, of course. But I had two two parent household. But money was seen as well, they did something bad to get that, right? Anyone who had it, it was always, yeah, but they, they're they definitely doing, they're up to something in order yeah. to get that, right? And my whole thing was, I saw how other, I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't blind. I see how other neighbors were living. And I saw when I would get out of my track into another household going, wow, this is pretty sweet. This is pretty sweet. How did you do this, right? And I felt the urgency to, like you said, be the one to change Right. Coming from my parents being, you know, blue collar teacher, nurse, yep. had everything that I needed, not everything I wanted. And I was like, well, I'm just going to be rich. Right. Yep. I'll just be the one that's the the one. What's so hard about that? I'll just be the rich one. Um, again, learning that that's it's not as easy as that. Right. That takes some work. <laughs> but but the reality is, is that that's where my urgency came from. Just like you is like for you, you're the. Ed Milet calls it the Neo in the Matrix. He's the one that changes the family tree, changes the story. And that's such a powerful thing. I, I guess my question to you is now I have a child and you have children. How do you, 
how do you instill some sort of urgency into kids? Is it is it through com competition with sports? I mean, I guess that's it's a it's a question that again it's a it's certainly a a better problem than what we had, but it still could potentially be something. I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I don't know that I have the the end all answer, I and mean, I think you pretty much just asked me what the meaning of life was. It's I, I equate it to that. <laughs> Um, if you ever yeah. find out, you know, the, the answer on this, I'd love to hear it. But I, I think what I've come up with when I've asked different people who have made it before me and, and whatnot, I think it's really just the values. It goes back to the values. Like, what are you, are you, is money the value? The money is not a value to me. It's a, it's a product of what I'm doing and gives me the freedom to do what I can do today but it's just a vehicle. So what does that vehicle help me do? And then I can teach the kids that same thing. Like I, I've, I've told my daughters, I don't care what you do in life. Like if you want to be an artist, if you want to be, you know, a doctor or a, a nurse or work for a nonprofit, amazing. Like I will support you whatever you want to do, but you should always have some real estate in your portfolio because if you're going to be an artist, artists don't make a lot of money. And if you want to live a comfortable life and have the ability to be able to provide for your family, you're going to want these other assets to be able to go ahead and spit off cash flow for you so that you don't have to worry about. It. And then you can truly enjoy what you're passionate about. Like I do real estate, like I'm passionate about it because not because I love real estate. I'm passionate about it because I love that it can create this massive wealth for you in a semi-short time that can propel you to that financial freedom that allows you to have all this time to do what you really love. And, and that's sad. what it's all about is time. And we can't get that back. It's cliche. You know, we're all out here chasing, you know, the next uh, serum that's going to end up making me look younger and to live longer and all these things, but you can't buy more time. And, and, you know, getting into when I had kids, that was the big thing is like, how do I get more time with them? And that was the only way when, if I knew I had kids is I need to have more, I need to have more money coming in. So I don't have to work as hard so I can spend more time with them. Well, you are using some sort of serum because you look great. And, uh, I, and, and really, not only did you come from a humble beginning, right, and, and got over it to, to where you are today, which is uh, a mentor to me, but also it's all about a little bit about the weight journey. I mean, you went and you were able to, again, not just go through and, and, and win financially, let's say, or in real estate, but also in your uh, personal, you know, in, in your health wise, you know, again, urgency to do that was there something that made you go you know i'm done i'm fed up yeah uh so it it started uh one christmas right before christmas we were driving to milwaukee to visit uh, my wife's parents and i woke up and i just had this burning sensation in my throat and it was acid reflux which i knew i had and it was just really really bad that day um, worse than i had had it before and i just woke up that morning and said I can't, I can't have this happen anymore. It, it hurts. I feel miserable. 
And so I had to make a change. Um, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. And a lot of times he says, people usually don't make change unless there's pain involved. So it has to be a motivating factor or whatever that makes you have that why. And at that point it was, one, I, I could end up with throat cancer if I didn't figure it out. And two, I knew the eating was a bad thing. So I made the decision at that point. I used to drink like probably six to eight cans of soda a day. Pepsi was my drug of choice. And uh, I had done that from when I was a little kid, which had caused a lot of these problems. And then I would eat late at night. So I had to cut both of those things out to eliminate some of that acid reflux. And I lost like 20 pounds within like six months just from cutting those things out, which is amazing. And then I went to a Tony Robbins event, my first one, had no idea a lot about Tony Robbins, but my wife's uh, sister, it was her 40th uh, birthday. And she said, you know, hey, Janet, do you want to come, you know, come along with me? And she said, yeah, let's go. And then she was like, well, I'm going to bring my boyfriend at the time. So if you want to bring Sean. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go, not knowing what I was getting into. And it absolutely changed my life. I got there. He, you know, he asked these questions to the general people. I think there's 7,000 people in there. And it spurred on, for me personally, my battle with weight loss. And I had already lost the 20. So I was on that journey already. But I didn't do anything other than cut out the late night eating and, and whatnot. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing it. And we had two small children at the time. And I imagined myself in a grave with my girl standing over me and Janet standing over me and saying, daddy, why didn't you change? And that picture, as I'm standing there with my eyes closed, thinking of this was the reason why my why, why I needed to get healthy and change. Because without having a dad, when I grew up, I always told myself I would be there for my kids. Well, I wasn't going to keep that promise if I was overweight and unhealthy. I was going to die an early death. And so that's what started the journey. And then the why was my kids and my wife that I needed to get healthy so I could be around longer for them and for myself. Super powerful. I just that vision that you gave me, I was like about to get emotional. I, honestly, I was like, wow, that that vision of you being there. No wonder that can get anybody amped up to just change right and having that burning visualization in your head can make you do some powerful things which is you know stopping those uh, those habits and those are not simple habits to change you know the thing that i'm grateful for is my parents were run were runners and i would see that as a young age and now i'm a runner right and so if you don't have that like if you don't because things are not taught right they're caught and your kids catch these things and you, but you don't have to tell them about it. You you just have to do them and they'll kind of start going, well, yeah, we're, you know, we're a healthy family. I don't know what you want me to tell you. My, we're runners in our family, right? And just little tiny things that can create such massive exponential results for your family and then their family. And and, and so again, you're, you're the one that's changed your family tree financially. And I think uh, health-wise too, which is, which, which was a beautiful thing. Really, if you think it, it could work the opposite way too, right? If you have unhealthy habits, if you don't do these things, then you're teaching the kids. And I think that goes back to your question about how do we get our kids to to have that push? I think it's that it's it's teaching them them these things and and not spoiling them with 
you know, all these other things. Like when we talk about money, we're, we're very honest with them about money and teaching them about it, but it's our money. It's not their money. And we're like, mm. you're going to have to go get a job. You're going to have to learn these things. You know, if you want to do real estate, great. I'll, I'll help you teach you how to do that. And you'll have a leg up on other people because they don't have that mentorship. Um, but you're going to have to figure it out. Not me. No doubt. I love that. That is exactly the, the, the question that got answered. They're going to see it from you doing what you do. They're going to, they're going to learn these values from just you being you and your, and your wife being her and, and just doing it every day. You know, just that you can't, you can't make that up. It's just, that's my actions. And those are the things that they're going to take. So that's, that's beautiful. So now let's go to back to real estate. Let's talk about, you know, maybe doesn't have to be your first deal, but certainly I becoming more interested in retail, right? So we come back, we come from a a residential background. I'm actually in uh, people that are watching this. I'm at our apartment building that we just closed on the 79 unit building. So this is the bat cave. And uh, congratulations, by the way. Thank thank you very much. And so retail, I know in your, you've talked in the past, you had some inclination to multifamily and not that you wouldn't continue to do it if the right deal came in, but it's really been a retail environment for you. You really focused on retail. Can you talk a little bit about, first of all, why retail is something that you really focus on? And, And also, you know, what you might be looking for, like there's the Johansson method. Can you talk about talk about the two things? Talk about why retail and what's the Johansson method, and 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 what's that done for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, coming out of residentially, that's what you think, right? I'm going to go from buying houses like Monopoly. I'm going to buy houses. I'm going to buy a hotel. In this way, it's houses, and then it's apartment buildings. I know it. I've dealt with renters. You know, it just seems the right thing, and. Um, some of the things that spurred it on was one, we did put offers in on, on residential to start with. We had, uh, I think it was like a 200 and some odd unit apartment that we put an offer in, um, with another member in our group, uh, in North Carolina. And we were like, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. I went out to North Carolina, flew out there, started driving there. And as I got closer and closer, I realized that the neighborhood was not the greatest neighborhood. Um, and that's fine if that's where you want to be, but it's a heavier lift if you're going to be in a not as great neighborhood. Unfortunately, there's a lot of turnover and and stuff like that. So it's not an easy project. And so if you're looking for an easier project, you probably want to be in an A category. If you don't mind the heavier lifts, then you can go to a you know working class or you know maybe a little bit lower level um, class of, of area. And there's money to be made in any of those classes. But what was big for me was when I was there, I realized how big of a lift this was going to be. And I wanted to spend time with my kids. That's why I got into real estate is to spend more time. I would have had to been there on site for months to get this thing turned around. And I just didn't want that. And that's what brought me back to my home market of Minnesota. And I put together my little box that I was going to invest in. And that was part of it. And we looked at some more residential, but really the big turning point was our mentor, uh, Scott, uh, talking about um, how much he loved retail. And the big difference was when you stabilize an apartment building, you got to wait 
12 months, 18 months to really realize that value because they have to see that it's seasoned, that it's not just you throwing in tenants and all of a sudden they're out, you know, two months later versus retail, you get in there and it's the day I sign that lease with Papa John's, Domino's, whoever it is, I get that value right away. I don't have to season it. So I can flip it out if I want right away, or I can just keep it for cash flow, whatever it is. And the tenants pay to keep the building up. That was another huge part is through common area maintenance charges and taxes and insurance. Most tenants in retail pay triple nets, um, which are those three things. And so they're paying for the landscaping, the lawn care, the snow plowing. If you're in an area that you need that, if you need to paint the facade, they'll pay for that. If you need to update the sign a little bit, they'll pay for that. Any type of repair they pay for. So ultimately, they're taking care of the building. You're just facilitating it as a manager or you hire a management company to do that. And I love that. Like, I don't have to take money out of my profits to fix this building up and to keep it looking nice. The tenants want it to be nice because they have businesses there. So they're they're all about it. And so you're almost like a partnership with that tenant in keeping the building looking nice. It's not like a residential where you might get a bad tenant and they might destroy your apartment and then you have to go in and fix it. These people have businesses and they want it to look nice. That's why I love retail. And it's also you're working with businesses. You know, it's really you're, you're, it's business to business. And it's a way different relationship than business to a tenant type situation where they're not going to have the same, they don't need this to work out necessarily for their food, on to put food on their table, right? For their family, right? All those things you'd think that they would, but it's a, it's just a different, it's a different thought process. And you said even, something that I thought was, even from a governmental standpoint, it's a big difference. Like, there's so many more rules that you have to go by from a residential standpoint than no doubt from a business to business transaction. They don't poke their nose in into the business of retail as much as they would in the residential. And absolutely, no doubt about it. And, and obviously those regulations have been something where we're dealing with in New York. And now you understand why people don't want to invest in New York because Money likes to go where it's treated the best and it's not always treated uh, as well as it is uh, in maybe the Southeast that it is in New York. But I believe that means there's opportunity for me uh, right. because less people are looking. But uh, I really thought you said something very interesting in regards to, you know, you're buying in COVID back in the day. You know, you were, or I should say you, you owned during COVID, right? You've been during that period of time. And, you know, you hear a lot about in retail, you know, mom and pop is, it's fine, right? But you really want that national. You want that nationally, national. Can you speak a little bit about your experience in that situation and maybe what you've heard and what you've dealt with during COVID and maybe some strategies you were able to use to, you know, create win-wins when things were looking like lose-lose? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you talked about like the Johansson special, like what, what it oh, is. Oh, yes. We should get and to that me, too. For me, that's a smaller strip center, you know, somewhere between 10,000 and 60,000 square feet. You probably have a lot of mom and pop or local tenants uh, in there that um, you're not going to see a lot of nationals. You might see some national names, but they're usually franchisees like 
you know, you're going to have a Domino's, a Papa John's, you know, stuff like that, maybe a great clips. Um, so that's kind of the, the model that I've uh, adapted. And we look for, you know, some vacancy in there because we want to push the values to be able to, to, um, to get to that instead of buying for appreciation, we force the appreciation. Um, so that kind of sets the stage. So I have a lot of these properties that have a lot of local tenants in them. And yeah, that's not necessarily seen in our industry as the cream of the crop. You don't get the same price for a local tenant as you would for a Starbucks. Um, people covet that. And I thought that right. was very interesting. I always thought that way too. Like I want to get this Starbucks. That's the right. grail of, of retail or whatever it is. And then it comes COVID and I join like a couple of groups of landlords that are um, across the country. And we were talking every week on like, what do we do? How do we get this done? Which also is a huge part of the mentorship and the education is that you don't want to do this alone. Having a mentor or having a group that you can go to to talk about these things is going to give you a huge leg up rather than trying to figure it out on your own use somebody else if you can. So we had this amazing group that we would get on and a lot of the other people in the group had national tenants in there. And they were like, this, this national tenant wasn't, isn't going to pay me. They're just shutting it off. They're saying, I'm not paying you. And here I have on the other end, all my local tenants that they're, they just want to make it and they don't know what they're doing. And so the difference that I found during COVID was that they fought a lot harder than these nationals. The nationals, some of them, not all of them, were like big bullies. And were like, I'm a big national. You're not going to kick me out. You know, I'm going to just not going to pay you versus the local tenants like, hey, Sean, like, I'm shut down. I'm a gym. I can't make any money. What can we do to help? And so we worked together on solutions to be able to make that happen. And I worked with my local bank. I like to work with local banks because... I can call them and say, hey, Steve, hey, Jennifer, I know the, the bank manager's name or the, the, uh, the head president of the bank. And I can say, you know, we're struggling, you're struggling, what can we do? So I was able to get some extensions on my loans to be able to not pay maybe a couple of months, then I could use that money to be able to go ahead and say, okay, mom and pop or local gym, I know you can't open. Let's give you an extension for a couple of, of months so that we'll push them to the end of the, of the cycle and then you don't have to worry about it right now. So we worked in conjunction with each other versus bully saying, I'm just not paying you. The difference between somebody who is an operator that is you know, maybe just going to bury their head in the sand and then somebody who's going to take proactive, what do I got to do? And obviously it's your business. So you were going to, but still I'm going to facilitate. This is where, this is why you want a Sean on your team when something, whether it's COVID or not to be there, because you probably have seen these different situations occur. So, and that, and that, and that actually brings me to my next thought was, you know, you've been open about partnering and, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people are not, I think, I think the you hear maybe out there that, oh, geez, you know, partnering, it's, it's really tough and you don't want to do that. And, you know, you, you just, you want to stay in your lane and, you, but 
I'm a partnering guy. I like partnering. I like people are good at certain things that I'm not. And I like that they feel like I'm adding value because I know that they are. And I love that reciprocation, especially because there's this is a team sport in uh, commercial real estate. There's so yeah. many key people needed thought on partnering. What do you look for in partners? And maybe what are some success stories you have working with uh, partnerships? That's a great question. Uh, I think a lot of people have heard so many horror stories about partnerships, and there can be. The way you avoid, in my opinion, I'm not an attorney, so, but in my opinion, you got to document up front. It's so exciting to get into a deal and partner, and everybody's super excited in the beginning. But then once money starts getting involved and things happen, people change, right? I got to take care of my family. So I'm going to do what's best for me, maybe not necessarily what's best for you. And you're in a different situation where you're maybe looking more for the long-term future because maybe you don't have kids. I know you do, but you don't have kids. So we're on different pages. And that's why you spell it out in the beginning. Like who is going to be the partner that makes the decision? And I think that's the hardest thing is like people go into these, yeah, let's just do it, Marty. Let's do a deal 50-50. Great. It sounds great. But then all of a sudden you're you're fighting about paint color or you're fainting or fighting about that you don't want this tenant, but I do want this tenant. Well, there has to be that decision maker that can make that tiebreaker. And then when you're doing it, you want to put in some type of clause that if Marty no longer wants to be in this deal, how does he get out? Put that in there. Like there's got to be some type of clause. I like the shotgun clause where it's, okay, if, if Marty wants out, he has to offer me a price to buy out or to buy me out, one or the other. But whatever way it is, I can buy you out if you're coming to me for the same price. And then that keeps you honest. You're not going to lowball me or try and get some super high price you know, for it because we might, I might come back to you and say, well, no, I don't want that. You do it. So you have to be fair about it. So I think it's putting those things up front is going to be a huge thing. And that's like, I always say, when people don't set it up right, those are the people I buy from because they need to get out of their asset because the two people are fighting so much and they can't figure it out or they can't figure out how to do the leasing and one person wants to do that and then the property goes down in value and then I come in and I buy it and I do the right things and fix it up and make that value that they could have if they just set things up the right way. Right. And it's like, the story sounds great, right? Where it's like, hey, I did a handshake deal. And, and, it, and it can be tough to have those honest and real conversations in the beginning. But I think that means that that person's now serious about the partnership, right? If you're not having that, then they're probably not serious or they're not going to then go all the way. They're like, hey, we're having this important conversation up front because I because I do value you as a partner and I want you to then value me so that we know everything is on the table instead of this being a nightmare and now we both hate each other <laughs> at the end. Yeah. And, right? and if you're in different stages of life. You never know who right. you're partnering with. Like Marty, if you and I are partnering, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm 49. So if I'm 49 and you're 25, we we have different goals now. Like I'm 
towards the end of my career, you're just starting. So your risk value is much different than mine. Those are conversations you need to have. And we could have an amazing partnership. Like you have the young energy. Maybe I don't have that young energy anymore. And you can bring things. That's the benefit of having partnerships is having those different ideas. You know, we're, we're all different. So it's nice to have those things. And maybe you've done something different than I've done. So you can bring that perspective and vice versa. I've had some amazing partnerships. One of our group members, Danny Newberry, we had a great partnership. He did something similar as me, but he had a different way of finding people um, or going into properties and getting people to lease from him or even the ones that were already leasing. He would go in and offer them maybe some tenant improvement money to renew early. So we could speed up some of those processes. And I brought him on my deal because I wanted to learn that from him. So I was willing to give up equity in my deal. Granted, he brought you know some money to the table, but I was willing to give up equity to learn. And I think that's where people really fall short is they're so afraid of giving something for free. But for me, it's like, look, if I could learn from, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, a famous Tony Robbins. If I could learn, if I was in psychology and I had a day to sit with Tony Robbins, I would do that for free. I would do anything that he wanted me to do within reason. Of course, I'd scrub toilets just to hear what his expertise was because he's been doing this for 40, 50 years or, you know, somebody in, in a teaching industry. If you want to be a good teacher, go find the best teacher that you know and offer to work for them for free or, you know, whatever that they need just to learn from them. And that'll make you so much better. And so partnerships is a great way to figure that out. Perfectly said, you know, adding value, you know, to that person is key. And, you know, I think a lot of people are reluctant to give, oh, I don't want to give up, you know, what I, you know, they, everyone's so, you know, close to their chest on certain things, but you're never going to win that way. I think you might have short-term victories, but long-term, you know, way better deals out there where you you need more people. And if you don't, day one, have that same abundance mindset, it's going to be very tough for you to reach the levels that you potentially could because you're unwilling to offer something to somebody. Because like you said, now, you know that strategy. You don't necessarily need to work with a Danny Newberry. You might still want to because, you know, great working relations. Now you know the strategy. So yeah. you were able to get that from that deal and now use that for your next one where you don't have to give up that equity necessarily. And what a powerful tool that is. I think more people need to, to know that if you're going to work with somebody, know why, know what they're going to bring to the table. But then realize you don't have to keep working with that person again and again and again. You can just deal by deal basis and know that it doesn't have to be for life. So that's great. Um, we're getting to the speed round, John. So I'd let's like go. To, I'd like to go yeah. one quick point on that. I think yeah. one of the biggest barriers to getting into commercial is money, right? Any type of investment. And people no use that as an excuse to not do it. And I would beg to differ with that because I have partnered with people who don't have money don't want to have experience, but they have time. And so they went out and found a deal. They asked me to come in on it because I had the experience. I had the credit. I could get it done and I had the money to be able to do it. 
And so they partnered with me to be able to do all this other things. And they still got to sit there for the, I think we had that deal for about two and a half years. And throughout that process, they learned firsthand of how to do a deal. And they had no money. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't have to sign on the debt. They didn't have to do all those things. Now, maybe you have some money, maybe you don't, but don't use that as a crutch. And that's where partnerships come into to, to being good and to push you forward. So maybe you do two deals like that and you learn and you get a little bit of money during while you're doing it. And then you break out and you do your first deal. You don't have to do this alone. That's the amazing part. That is a, that is brilliant because of how much for someone, like you said, they've used that excuse. I don't have money. I, you know, I, I can't get into this, but find someone who can add that part. And like, you don't have time. Like you just said, I'm 49. I'm, I got all my kids with me. You know, like I'm doing all these things. Like, but if someone brought you the right deal that you've seen this before, you know how this works, you'd be happy to put the money in. And obviously, you know, you're going to get the equity that is deserved on that. And people need to, I think also realize that you have to be willing to give that up in order to learn from a Sean Johansson so that every step of the way you can pick his brain and not have to call him and say, Hey, can I pick your brain? Which is the worst thing you can do. You can do that when you were working together, pick my brain all day long. Cause I know we're transact. We're, we're having a back and forth here, which I would love to have, but don't call me for coffee to pick my brain. Give me a deal. Show me a deal. And then you can, you know, then pick my brain. I feel like that works yeah. out a lot better. <laughs> and I don't even mind sometimes picking the brain, but it's, it's not going to be the sure. same level you're going to get if you're in the day to day. Like, look, I'm, I'll give you a half an hour of my time. I have no problem with that. I love helping people, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be doing the due diligence with you. I'm not going to be doing, you know, looking through the leases. I'm not going to be signing on debt. These are things that are important that you need to learn. And you're going to learn from my mistakes of what I've done, the mistakes I've made over the last 15 years. And the reason that I was successful through those is having my own mentor to keep me out of those things and being able to talk to him and, and to do it. So it's just a vicious cycle or a great cycle, I guess, is what you would call it to be able to do it. I like to equate it as like, if your furnace is broke, you're not most likely usually going out and fixing it yourself. You're hiring an expert to do it. This is what you're doing. And you're paying them by giving them equity in your deal if you found a deal or to be in the boots on the ground if you if you don't do something like add the value going back to that add value some way and you'll get it done it's awesome well said and, and important to be said as well because there are a lot of people listening in the camp of you know what can i do well you can find the deal you can be the person that knows somebody that has money you know there's so many different ways so and we can go crazy on that um but i want to be cognizant of your time so Speed round. Is there, first of all, is there a metric that you track in your business? Um, or is there one, I should say, is there is there a specific strategy or is there a metric that you track in your business that's critical for the success of your company? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, for really what I do, you know, buying the the vacant properties and they're not all vacant. There's there's tenants in them already, but it's it's tracking like how fast can I get a tenant in here? I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. the, the biggest part because I want to create 
a bunch of value as quickly as possible because it does two things. One, obviously, it gives me more money and more cash flow, but it also makes the deal more secure. So the bank feels happy that I bought this deal for $2 million, but now it's worth 3.5. They're not knocking on my door saying, hey, Sean, what's the deal? So you got to keep your bank happy, but you're also keeping your investors happy. So I think it's really just, for me, it's staying on track and focus on the exit plan, whatever that is, whether you're holding it long-term. But once you deviate from that plan, and I just did that on a deal that it took me six years to get rid of. Um, and it didn't go great. We got our money out with a little extra. I think it was like maybe around a 4% annual return on their money, which isn't great. I feel blessed to be able to get through that because we went through COVID. We went through losing a national tenant. But I think it's really important to stay on task because I deviated from it because I didn't do the things that I had originally said I was going to do. So to me, that's the biggest metric is just staying focused, stick to your plan, and, and you should be successful. Love that. Is there a, a book that you recommend investors read? You know, maybe it's for real estate or maybe it's, you know, a book that you just most recently read that has really, you know, made a, has maybe given you some power or maybe have done something for you. I don't know that we have enough time to go into all of it, but I mean, the best book that I've read recently is um, The Body-Mind Prescription by Dr. Sarno. He also has one called The Healing Back Pain, which is actually the first one. I was going through a lot of back pain issues where I was having spasms in the middle of my back, battled this for like two years, going to chiropractic, doing everything, uh, you know, PT, all this stuff. I couldn't get rid of it. Um, a good friend of ours, Jeremiah, uh, he recommended the book because he had similar stuff. And it just talks about how your mind can cause pain in your body. And for me, it was a lot of regression, regressed feelings that I had from my childhood and stress that I had from every day that I was putting on myself. It wasn't the environment I was putting on myself. And to realize that over the last eight months, I haven't had, I've had one spasm since then, which before I would have one about every month. And I have very little back pain anymore. And I've really dove deep into my head and what happened in my childhood to be able to address some of those things. And it's made me a better father, a better husband, and just a better self for me. I feel so much healthier. It's not, you know, perfect, but I'm on that journey. So to me, that was the most powerful book that I read. I know it's not real estate, you know, centric. I would say from a, another book that I loved was um, Never Split the Difference um, is one of my favorite books uh, to read um, from more of a business standpoint. That's a great recommendation. What was that first one you talked about? Uh, the Mind Body Prescription by Dr. Sarno and uh, and then Healing Back Pain is by Dr. Sarno also. So it's got Love two. It. Actually, I think he has like four books, but those are my favorites. Okay. No, that's that's one I've never heard before. So that is fantastic. And I never split the difference is so good. I, I I try to listen to it once a year. I need to re-listen to it because of just the little things I've learned from that. You know, the mirroring, because I'm in sales and you know, part of my value to you know, in real estate is finding the deal, right? And, and talking to people is something I really enjoy. So just those little things that I use mirroring all the time now, and it's just a great way to build rapport and 
getting someone to say that's right is one of my favorite things in the world now. And and John understands what I'm talking about. For others, just read the book because it's fantastic. Um, what do you do to intentionally network or mastermind uh, with other business owners? I think that's being part of a group. We're we're part of a, a larger group um, through the Commercial Academy, and and uh, that's a lot of my networking. But outside of that, I think what's brought me the most benefit in my business is networking with um, bankers. You know, they they're the lifeblood kind of of our industry. So it's getting out to charity events is a great place to find bankers and business people and investors because they're there for a reason. Obviously, you're not raising money for that, but find a charity that you really believe in. Start going to events there. You'll meet people in the business community, whether it's a banker or not. But our first three deals were bank-owned properties that we met somebody at a charity event, and we're just talking to them and saying, yeah, hey, we're new to the commercial real estate industry. And, um, you know, we when we find a deal, would you be interested in financing it? And they said, yeah. So we kind of talked about rates and all that stuff. And then at the end, I was like, hey, just uh, in, if you have something in your portfolio you're trying to get rid of, let us know. Um, we would love to buy it. Here's what we look for. And they were like, oh, actually, we have a couple of deals. Let me send them over to you. And they ended up financing it for us, too. And we're kind of getting back to that point in the cycle where there's going to be stuff going back to the bank. So get with them, get with your attorneys. Those are the people you want to network. Also, obviously with other investors, so you can hear what's going on, but that's probably been the biggest benefit outside of these other groups that I've talked about. What a takeaway. What a re-listen to that, because that is key is thinking outside the box, right? You know, charity events, who would have thought that is where, Again, he just said he just picked up, he was able to pick up three of his deals that way and the financing and just by asking the questions and just being in those different areas. And again, we that's a really great, that's a slick trick. I love that. Uh, Sean, last question for you. If, you'd, if you weren't in real estate, I'm always curious, what, what would you do? What would you want to do? What, what would be your thing? You know, I mean, you, you, you could be retired if you wanted to, of course, but real estate you love. So if it wasn't for real estate, what do you think you would be doing? Um, that's a good question. I mean, if you ask me today, I, I know exactly what I want to be today. I want to help people. I mean, that's really, I've learned through doing real estate and being through our group that I enjoy talking with you, Marty, and giving you my life experience or sharing with people about this book of like the back pain and stuff, or somebody who's looking to lose weight, like. I believe that whether you believe in God or a higher power or whatever it is that you believe in, I believe I was put on this earth and given these sometimes not so great things. Um, I was given those things to share it with other people. Otherwise, it's kind of selfish if I don't. That If I can save somebody two years of back pain because I can turn them onto this book and what it's done for me, that's huge. And that's that's really where you grow. And I believe that you know, in speaking with or doing the Tony Robbins stuff, uh, growth and contribution are the two top things that should be on your list. And as I got older, I always thought money was like the big thing. That was always my driven goal that I had to get enough money to be able to, to be free and to buy my mom's, uh, you know, house and do all these things. But once I kind of got that money, then I was like, well, wait a minute, like I'm not any happier than I was before. Why? 
And as you get older and you start figuring these things out, it's like, well, what makes me happy? Well, it makes me happy to see Marty happy. Okay. Well, how can I make Marty happy without just giving him money? I mean, I'm sure Marty would take some $20 or whatever, you know, if, if we offered it to him, but what can I give him that's going to make him happier in a long term? And if you're hurting and I have an experience that I went through that, that I can share with you to help get you out of that, what better gift can you give somebody? A fantastic response and it makes you think about, you know, let's say, I'll say this. If you don't know, Sean, it's people like him where you want people like him to win. You want good people to be successful because of what they're going to do with the the good fortunes that they've been able to do and and, and deservedly so, but you you know, good people deserve it. That's I what I believe. I appreciate good people kind words. Good people deserve it. You deserve to win. And it's no it's 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 no surprise that you are winning and because of those mindsets. Guys. Fantastic show. Sean, thanks for coming on, brother. I appreciate you uh, more than you know. Thank you so much for blessing us with uh, those contributions of, first of all, the charity event was a great slick trick. I'm using that today. I'm going to go. I, I already donate to my, my wife's, you know, bananas with animals. So I always, I have a monthly, you know, stipend that goes out to, because I obviously am too, it, it trickled down. Um, so I, I love that. I think that would be a great place. Just and also to meet like-minded people that care about that. Well, yeah, <laughs> Obviously, that's that's part of it too, right? We care about the charity that we're doing it for. Um, so well, like-minded individuals. That's the amazing thing about doing it is you're you're not doing it to get all those things, but it's it's a benefit of the charity, and you feel good for being part of it because you want to help and do it because you want to help, not just because you're trying to make contacts and all that and all that good stuff. That's my opinion is in going through life is if you if you try and give to people, good things happen to you. If you if you're if you do sales. So if you're going and you're trying to sell somebody, but you don't necessarily believe in the product or you're just you're just trying to meet them to sell them something, they can under they can feel that. But if you come in and you're truly trying, you believe that your product is going to help them and you're giving something to them, they're going to feel that and they're going to buy from you, in my opinion. And so it's the same on my end. I believe that because I have tried to help people in my life and been that way, that God or whoever has given back to me in, in the same fold because I'm trying to help other people. But if I was just trying to be greedy and go up for the mighty dollar, you might not get that. But that's just my opinion. Again, no shock that Sean is successful. Sean, again. Thank you for coming on, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you having me on. All right, guys. Take care. That was the Marty Grisani Show with Sean Johansson. And uh, Sean, actually, how can people find you? If they have a deal and they're in Wisconsin, Minnesota, I know that's your your bread and butter. Can you give them a little bit of uh, how they could find you and and you know maybe connect with you? Uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Sean Johansson. Uh, you know, look me up that way. Um, our website is www.sona investments, S O N A uh, investments with an S at the end.com. Um, you know, reach out, let me know if, uh, you know, if we can partner with something, if you got something good, I'm, I'm willing to look at it. Guys, that's Sean. I'll have that information in the show notes and, uh, that is it. Take care. Wash your hair. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for tuning into the Marty Grizzani Show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest rating and review. If you're on Spotify, make sure you follow us for weekly episodes. 